Good morning, beloved church. My name is Camille Maddock. I'm the associate pastor here at Valencia United Methodist Church, and I am grateful to be with you this morning as we continue our new series, Critimus. It's an opportunity to look at the seven things that this faith community still know to be true. You heard Andy explain last week that Critimus is the Latin word for we believe but it's so much more than just belief. It's what we trust to be true. It's what we imagine to be true. It's what we commit to and what we try to live our lives believing. I think it's important to note that Critimus is the first person plural of credo. It's not just what I believe, but it's what we believe. You see, these seven affirmations are claims that we can make individually, but they are also what we affirm and what we believe as a faith community for all of God's creation. So when we speak about these seven things we still know to be true, when we say this critimus, what we believe, we are speaking about our trust and our hope for not just our own lives, but for all that we trust to be true and what we commit to making true for the people in our lives, in our community, and beyond. So as a reminder, these are the seven things that we know to be true. All means all. Everybody has stuff, and that's okay. Your story is important. That's the one that Andy spoke about last week. Families come in all shapes and sizes. God's love changes everything. The Bible has a message for us today, and we are here for good. Now this morning, we're going to take a closer look at the affirmation that God's love changes everything. But before we do, I invite you to join me in a moment of prayer. Gracious and loving God, we know you are present with us this morning. Open our hearts to hear the message that you would have for us today. May the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord. Amen. So today our focus is on that affirmation that God's love changes everything. You know, there's a famous story told about theologian Karl Barth who, during a question and answer section of a speaking engagement, he was asked uh, if he could summarize his whole life's work in theology into one sentence. Barth allegedly said something like, yes, I can. In the words of the song I learned on my mother's knee, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Now, I love this story, whether it's true or one of those stories, those legends that get told again and again in sermons or Bible studies or books of faith. I love that it takes this theological giant of, of Karl Barth, one of the greatest Protestant theologians in modern times. It simplifies the breadth and the depth of his complex theological work into a straightforward statement about God's love through Jesus. His theology is condensed down to a beloved children's song about love. Because when it all comes down to it, it is about love, about God's love for us, about our love for God, about our love for others. It all begins with God's love and how God's love changes 
everything. And in case we forget this very basic, essential fact of our faith, our credimos, our scripture reading this morning makes it clear. It comes from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 9, and then 16 through 19. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You see, God is the source and the very definition of love. God is love. Love expresses who God is. Our passage this morning emphasizes that God's love is not some abstract concept. God's very being is love. It's passion expressed in action. God made love real and present in the very act of creation. It's further expressed by sending Jesus to live with us and to die for us. God continues to show us love through Jesus' life-giving presence among us. And if we should ever question or become fearful of whether God truly does love us, God gives us the gift and the witness of the Spirit to confirm it once more. We are God's beloved, and God's love changes everything. This weekend, tomorrow, we celebrate and we remember the legacy and the life of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. There's so much to hear and to read about God's love in the work and the life of King. He preached many sermons about God's love and our call to love like God. In fact, in a sermon that he preached at the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in 1954, King described God's love as this. God's love is unceasing and eternal. God's love is inclusive. God's love is self-giving and spontaneous. God's love is redemptive. See, God's love is unceasing and eternal because love is an essential part of God's nature. The Reverend Dr. King puts it this way, God's love is not a single act, but it is the abiding state of God's heart. God does not begin to love. God's love has no beginning and no ending. God has always loved and always will love. Civilizations might rise and fall, but God's love will be here. Empires might crumble and perish, but God's love will be here. Even though there might be a day when the stars cease to bedeck the heavens, but the love of God will be here. When we say that God is love, we are saying that God's love is relentless and everlasting. God's love is also inclusive. You see, God's love is a big love. It's a broad love. 
God's love is not restricted by any boundary that we as humans would try to place on it. God's love is too big, too great, too broad, too fantastic to be bound by race or gender or nationality or orientation or any action or state of being that we can accomplish. This is what we mean when we talk about agape love, the Greek word for love that is immeasurable, unconditional, undeserved, and yet lavished upon the receiver. See, God's love doesn't depend on our initiative or our worthiness. You don't have to reach out to God or even believe in God in order to be loved by God. We don't have to clean up our act before God can love us. We don't have to measure up to some standard in order to be deemed lovable. No one does. God showers love on us whether we or anyone else deserves it or not. King believed that God's love was self-giving and spontaneous. No one commanded God to love. It's simply the nature of God to love. God doesn't love us because we deserve it or even because we asked for it. God's love is unmotivated. It's spontaneous. It's overflowing. It seeks nothing in return. It's not provoked by some quality in the object. God loves because God is love. Now, this is also what the founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley, means when he talks about provenient grace. You see, Wesley um, taught that there were three forms of God's grace, of God's love and mercy to be experienced. And the first of these is provenient grace. It's the grace that literally comes before it's knowing that before we are born, as we are knit together in our mother's wombs, God loves us. God, the creator who made you and me and all of creation, loves us no matter who we are or what direction our life journey takes us. We don't have to accept this love or even acknowledge it. It does not depend on our actions or our beliefs, and we cannot turn this grace, this love, away. And finally, kings make, king makes sure to preach that God's love is redemptive. God's love gives us life. It gives us new light. It saves us from death. This is the love that's found in John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. This is why God's love changes everything. God's love is a powerful force into the very act of creation and throughout our lives. God's love changes everything, and specifically, God's love changes our relationship with God. Martin Luther King often talked about how the Christian faith was, on one hand, the most pessimistic religion in the world because it sees the tragic nature of sin and humanity. But he also called it the most optimistic religion in the world because it sees how God's grace can come in and pick us up to new heightened dimensions. God's love changes our relationship with God. God's love brings about forgiveness and reconciliation, pardon and restoration. God's love brings about salvation. Now, this is where those other two forms of grace that John Wesley believed and preached in enters. There's justifying grace, where we acknowledge the ways that we fall short of, and we make a conscious decision to turn towards God and to take the appropriate responsibility in shaping a life of discipleship. 
For all those moments when we fall short of loving God or loving others, God love, God's love offers to us forgiveness upon forgiveness upon forgiveness. That's how God's love changes our relationship with God. God's justifying grace brings us into a relationship with God. We don't have to jump through hoops in order to please God or to be loved God, by God because God has already acted in Jesus Christ and we only need to respond in faith. But God's love doesn't just conclude with forgiveness. God's love changes our relationship with God because it includes sanctifying grace. Wesley believed that God's love is constantly pulling us closer and closer to God, that our faith, that our life of discipleship is about becoming perfect in love. Sanctifying grace is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit that changes us so that our lives are uh, increasingly conformed to the mind of Christ. God's love changes our relationship with God because it draws us towards Christian perfection. Wesley described becoming perfect in love as love filling the heart, taking up the whole capacity of the soul. Our scripture this morning references this when it calls us to abide in love and to abide in God. God's love also changes our relationship with ourselves. When we abide in God's love, we begin to see ourselves as God sees us. We are beloved before we are anything else. God loves us not for what we can do, but for who we are. And sometimes that becomes difficult to believe. We don't think it's true because we can think of all the reasons that we might not be lovable, all the ways that we might be selfish or unkind or quick to judge or without patience or generosity. My grandmother, who we affectionately called Mocha, was a fiercely loyal and passionately uh, supportive of those that she loved and cared for to the point that if she heard you talking bad about yourself, especially when you were a teenager, if you were talking about how awful you looked or how not smart you were, any of the many things that you could disparage about yourself, she would stop and she would call out, Hey, God don't make junk. <laughs> and then satisfied that she had solved any self-esteem issues, she'd kind of move on with her day. But that phrase, God don't make junk, has become a calling and a beacon for me in difficult moments. And you better believe that I share it with my kids. I even share it with Andy in those moments of self-doubt and self-judgment. My mocha's voice will forever be the quiet inner voice that reminds me that when Scripture says that man and woman were created in God's image, that includes me. I bear the impress of God. Now that is such a great phrase that we, each and every one of us, you and I, we bear the impress of God. Now this is a pottery term. Impressing is when you indent a design or texture into soft clay by pressing different uh, shaped objects into it. So bearing the impress of God is an acknowledgement that God is the potter, that we are the clay that we are a beautiful creation of, God, of a God who loves us and created us in God's image. Because God don't make junk. You see, our belovedness does not rest on our own nature, but on the perfect, unchanging nature of a God who is love. 
This is who we are called and created to be. Our very first calling is to be loved. Yes, we are called to love our neighbors, but we are called to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And that's the key phrase here, as we love ourselves. Our first and our greatest vocation lies in knowing our own belovedness. Everything else flows out of that. Love of God, love of neighbor, acts of service, a passion for justice. We love because God first loves us. We are loved for our own sake, loved utterly and freely with no strings attached. And this sense of belovedness, that experience of God love, underpins all that we are and all that we do. In order to prepare to truly love our neighbor, we need to continually seek to understand what it is to be loved, what and who love is in, is in God revealed through Jesus opening ourselves to bearing the impress of God, to seeing ourselves as beloved is a risky business. It makes us vulnerable. But we find model for that vulnerability in the incarnation. Jesus shows us not only what it is to love, but also, and first, what it is to be loved. You see, being beloved is not the soft option. In a world that tells us that you have to be good enough, that you have to be clever enough, slim enough, rich enough, that we need to earn things for ourselves, it is profoundly countercultural and challenging to acknowledge that God don't make junk. This is hard work. To claim that we are beloved, that I am loved, that you are loved, not because of your own merits, but purely and simply because of who God is. God's love changes our relationships with ourselves. And God's love changes our relationships with others. Knowing ourselves as beloved, seeing the impress of God in our lives and in our hearts enables us to see in others the impress of God, to hear that they too are called beloved by God. To know God's love is to overflow with God's love. How can we possibly love God while we hate God's beloved? If we have come to know God's love, we have seen for ourselves that it is unearned, it is undeserved, it is utterly free. And although God's love comes without conditions, it is not without consequences. God commands us to love one another as God has loved us. And in case we don't understand the seriousness of this command, the First John passage expressed it in a way that leaves no room for doubt. Just as God is, so are we in this world. If we abide in God and God is love, then we are called to embody God's love for the world. God's love is incarnate in us. And this is no small thing. If we love others as God has loved us, there can be no boundaries. Remember how Dr. Reverend King talked about God's love? It is unceasing. It is inclusive. It is redemptive. It is spontaneous. God's love made visible and present in Jesus is the source for the love we share with others. And loving like Jesus loved is hard work. You see, Jesus ignored the limits of the religious community he had imposed. Every time that they tried to draw the circle closer, Jesus drew it wider. He ate, he talked with people with whom the religious leaders had rejected as heretics, as sinners, as filthy, as despicable. 
He touched people who were considered untouchable. He welcomed people whom everyone else had kicked out. His harshest words were reserved not for those deemed unrighteous, but for those who were unloving, who were self-righteous, people who saw some of God's children as beneath them, as undeserving of their intention, and certainly unworthy of their love. So if Jesus shows us what God's love is like, then there is no doubt about how far our love for others must extend to every single human being. God's love changes everything because God's love does not end with us. God's love changes our relationship with all of those who surround us. It changes our relationships with our families and our friends it changes our relationships with our community and the world at, long, at large. It changes our relationship with God's creation as a whole. It even changes our relationship with our enemies. You know, Martin Luther King spoke and preached regularly on the power of love to transform not just the world, but our relationships with others. In a sermon on loving your enemies, he said this, now, there's a final reason I think that Jesus says, love your enemies. It is this, that love has within it a redemptive power. And there is a power there that eventually transforms individuals. And then later in his book, Where Do We Go From Here? He explains his dedication to nonviolence by saying this, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. You see, the kingdom of God is being built through God's love. God's love is what enables us to change the world through acts of justice and mercy. It is God's love that brings light to darkness and that overcomes hatred. We abide in God's love so that we may fearlessly and boldly reach out to the world in love. Such love can't ever originate with us. It's not our own weak, limited love that we share. We share God's love. We are called to open ourselves to God's love so that God can love others through us. And when we love one another, we are demonstrating God to the world by allowing the love that God has poured into us to overflow into our sisters and brothers. We make divine love real and visible in the ordinary lives of ordinary people. When God's unimaginable and limitless love comes alive in us, we feel the real presence of God in the world. So may we continue to abide in God because God's love changes everything. Thanks be to the God of love. Amen.